You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good afternoon or good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, so that means it's time for All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. Awesome. And this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. And we really just get into it. Yeah. We just get on in. (laughs) The last couple of weeks have been pretty interesting. Right? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So this is us. Um, And you want to you want to introduce Bob? Sure. I was going to, but helping us on the show is the wonderful and magnificent Bob Bontrager. Hello. He has no camera tonight. Hello, my oh. camera's not working. <laughs> womp. Womp, womp. But he's here. He really is here. He's the professional button pusher that makes this all work. And we are grateful for all of his help. We could not do it without him. And we want to encourage you to jo- share the show. Yeah. Share oh, the show. That's, I don't know. I just jumped right on in. That's See, okay. what I'm saying. We just get on in. We'll talk about sharing the show. Yes. Please help us out. Share the show. Tell your friends about it. Like us on Facebook. Um, get in the chat box and tell us where you're from. Yes. Where are you watching from tonight? Yeah, we are got the live chat going on the YouTube stream. So if you're on Facebook and you want to head over to YouTube, that makes it easier for us to interact with. Uh, Facebook doesn't make it super easy for us to see the comments all the time. So sometimes we miss them until after we go off the air. But um, going on YouTube is the easiest way to interact with us. And sharing the show is really the best way of helping to support us and support what we're doing here. Get the word out. Yes. Yes. Now, last week. Let's talk about it. I feel like I have to spell again. <laughs> we don't want to be throttled. I don't want to. Last week. We had we, Pastor Michael here. Yes. And he was talking about TikTok and how TikTok can be a gateway into P-O-R-N. That's right. Yes. And yes. the strong push for the LGBTQ. Yes. Yes. That's on, that's on TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. And to really be careful if you are a parent or someone who works with young people, make sure that you're aware of what your kids are doing on TikTok. Really get in there and uh, monitor it. And he was, but he, part of what he was saying is that there's really no way to monitor it because it all goes by so fast. And there's so many, I feel like different loops and secret ways, like the yes. hashtag. Yeah. So the hashtag can be something innocuous. pretty innocuous. Sunny day. Yeah. And that's really a like a for, hashtag for like cutting or self-harm and yeah. things like that. P-O-R-N. So, or so, yeah, yeah, P-O-R-N. So get in there and um, look at that video so that you can help protect your young people. This show has been shared a ton of times. I think this is definitely our most shared show. Yeah. I had someone today get in there and just write all of the youth leader names of people who work in her church, like all of the youth leaders in her church. And so like, yes, that's awesome because we want to make sure that as adults who are responsible, we are being responsible with our young people and making sure to, to help protect them. Joining us on the chat right now, um, our friend Keisha from the Atlanta area. Glad to have you there, Keisha. And Kimba is joining us, a frequent viewer. Uh, Theo says he's joining us. From Australia. Australia. Is Yay. This a, is this a true story? Yay. Australia. Really? Wow. Yes. That's cool. They have huge spiders in Australia. That is what I do know. <laughs> South Africa and Australia have like the biggest spiders. I'm like, ah, 
But that's just, that's my random knowledge. It's one that of I the know. places that Monique says she'll never go because too many things could happen. You could die. No, I like Australia. I have a, I have a ton of Australian friends. But there's a lot but of the, yeah, poisonous the, animals. They do. They have <laughs> spiders that are just big, like South Africa. So, yes. But so glad that you're watching, Theo. Uh, our friend Laura Hartley is there. So uh, Kimba says she likes our jams. Now we should explain our pre-show, pre-game uh, show, our jams there are what YouTube allows. So we don't get a copyright strike. Yeah, I'm that. always like, can we have Johnny Cash or no. something? No. no. <laughs> like, it must be very generic. Okay. So, um, oh, you know what? I forgot to send you our, the video from last week. Oh. Oh. Yes. I am so glad that she did not send that I video from last week. I forgot. Yes. Look when the Lord is on your side. Look what the Lord has done. Oh, rats. Okay, so if you go to the All the Things Facebook page. Or if you don't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Bob the Magician can pull it up for us. For the video I posted on Monday of us. So let's give a little backstory yeah. in the meantime. On Monday, we went to Disneyland. And we had an amazing time. It was a lot of fun. And there was video of me on a roller coaster screaming my head <laughs> off because, hi. Yes. Yes, that's it. All right. This is what I was going to do. All right, here it is. But while he's finding that out, in addition to the TikTok video, yeah. we also spoke about the coronavirus. Yes, And last helped week. to really put some parameters around that and um, encourage people, like, not to not, uber. Don't panic. Panic and, and freak. Yeah. Um, now, I would be a little nervous because Costco doesn't have any more toilet paper, but <laughs> um, in Not general, sure keeping our minds and, and keeping a square mind about us so that we're not entering into a panic. That's right. Um, God's still in control. Yes, that was the Matterhorn at yes. Disneyland. And I was just glad I didn't fall out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, that was fun. We had a it, really fun day. We did. It was a long, like we were there from like seven in the morning yeah. until like eight or nine at night. It was yeah. a lot of it fun. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time as a family. I couldn't and... feel my legs the next day. <laughs> we're old. I'm old. Oh. I'm young, but I still... Yeah. We oh, yes. We went on the new Star Wars ride. That was good stuff. I am not a Star Wars fan, but it was still good. Yes. It was really good. Something about resistance. Yeah. yeah. The so age like of the dawn of the resistance, the age of the resistance. Rise of the resistance. R rise. Yes. It was a 15 minute experience. Yes. So. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. It was good. And we had a good time. All right. All right. So, so let's get in. What are we doing? Hey, tomorrow is International Women's Day. It is. And so. As part of International Women's Day, we thought we would talk with our good friend, Lori Stewart. She yeah. is the president of Women in Apologetics, and she is a former feminist. Former liberal feminist. Liberal feminist, yeah. yes. Yeah. So we're going to get into some conversation about rights and feminism yeah. and Christianity. Where does Christianity fit into all of this, or where does feminism fit in with Christianity? Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to get into some of that. And... Talking about, yeah, I think you hit it is just the big issue. And uh, my question is about rights, women's rights. Uh, last week, I, I did a conversation or a couple of weeks ago 
Um, and we were in an environment where I asked that question about like, what is a right? What does it mean to have rights? And there are all manner of definitions that people put forward. And then I asked, well, where does do rights come from? And that led to an interesting discussion. Well, they come from the government or they come from myself or I'm not really sure. People mm -hmm. haven't really thought about it. So um, this this concept that we just throw around all the time. So I think it'll be a good discussion. So let's get be good. Lori here. Fire up the magical machine. And there she is. Hey, Lori. Hi, Lori. Hey, how you doing? Good. good. We're glad to have you here today. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, some of your journey into uh, being a liberal feminist. Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, I was raised in a Christian home, but when I was a teenager, like a lot of teenagers, I started challenging um, a lot of things that I was taught, especially in the church. And uh, I was really affected by a, a video or a TV show that I saw. It was around the time of Roe versus Wade. So that was um, the 70s. And I became an abortion activist at a very young age. And I think that was kind of my segue into the feminist movement. Um, I had been told that, hey, you can do anything you set your mind to. And then as I got a little older, I started realizing that there were some obstacles for women because you're women. And I thought, well, that's not fair. So that fed the fuel. So by the time I got to college, I was really wrestling with who am I? What do I believe? And then I entered uh, liberal academia. And I was challenged by several of my professors in different classes, including my political science class, my Western civil, uh, civilization class, and then my literature class. I would say, c combined with joining a, a sorority and then being in the theater department. So it was kind of a, a combination of a whole bunch of events that radically shook my worldview. And I decided that I was very compassionate toward people. I believe that we should have a bigger government, that people were too selfish to take care of others. Therefore, we needed to have big government taking care of people. So I... I called myself a feminist. I, you know, engaged in a pro-choice march. I even called myself a socialist and wondered if I was a communist. Didn't go that far though. So <laughs> uh, eventually I uh, got married and then had a baby, then found myself as a single mom struggling to make sense of the world and what had happened. Why had my world collapsed? And eventually through a series of events, started going back to church after looking in a whole bunch of different places, not finding answers, looking in Zen Buddhism, worldism, different kinds of um, faiths and, and theologies, decided to go back to church and see if I could find the answers. And I found the answers in Christianity and didn't find them anywhere else. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I learned some yeah, things about so you. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, good. So we're going to look at a little clip here, and I know that uh, you've seen this clip before, Lori, but I want to play part of it for our, our audience because I think it it kind of encapsulates some thinking that's happening in our culture right now about women and mm -hmm. where we're at and some of the cultural conversations we're having about women. I think it'll be a good setup for mm -hmm. our discussion here. So I'm going to have Bob play this short clip and then we'll come back and talk about it a bit. 
great. Hey, we're at the Women's March in Washington, D.C., and today we're going to ask the Women's March, how would you define what a woman is? What would you say is the biggest obstacle to equality between men and women today? It's, I'm always treated differently. I think the biggest challenge is the mindset of a lot of white men in particular in this country. I mean the administration, hands down. I think there is such a thing as entitlement. Pads, you know, you can, you can think of a plethora of reasons. And I see it quite often when the men jump in front of me to lift things or to um, back a truck onto a trailer or anything like that. There's just a, a big struggle for respect in employment and assignments that were given and pay that was given. I think equal, like there's no equal pay at all. Women have to work so much harder to get to the point that men can easily get to. How would you define what a woman is? Hmm. How do I define what a woman is? Oh my God. <laughs> I think a woman, that's, that's a trick question. Oh wow. I think a woman is anything that she wants to be defined as. Well, I, yeah. that's a good question. Let okay. me think about that. I, a human being. Um, she's an individual. A woman is powerful. A woman is really the creator of our society. Without women, like, we won't even be able to reproduce the planet. Like, we're selling uterus pins, but that doesn't mean that if you have a uterus, you're a woman, or if you don't have one, you're not a woman. So I think a woman is someone who chooses to express themselves. We can express our womanhood in so many ways that it is just unfathomable. Well, can be in the feminine way, but also can be in a non-binary way as well. Wow. How would I define what a woman is? There's so many aspects. A woman is love and strength and power. I, I in a short interview, I, I'm not even sure how to uh, answer that. A woman is anyone that identifies as a woman. Simple as that. I think a woman is like, if you identify as a woman, if you want to be a woman, then you're a woman. Okay. There it is. Yes, there is that. And that's just like a brief snippet into some of the things that are currently happening and the thought processes that are happening in our culture regarding gender and sex and all of those things. And is there anything such as gender, you know, or is it only sex? And is this binary or non-binary? And, you know, so, so there's a lot of conversations happening in it, just in this area of womanhood and feminism. Well, and I think that maybe we should talk about how contemporary feminism fits with critical theory, because that's a, that's a theme that we hit a lot on the show. Yeah. And maybe Monique, maybe you could speak to that a little bit and then we'll get Lori in the conversation too of like, you know, <laughs> so we talk a lot about critical race theory. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about queer theory. This is sort of another big aspect of critical theories, uh, which is feminism. What in the world is going on here when they're, why are they having so many problems defining what it means to be a woman? Oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, know like, I know what it means to be a woman. I am me, no. Um, I think part of it, even before we look at things like critical theory, are just the idea of postmodernism and this idea of truth and that there is no real truth. It's all relative. So 
to be a woman is to be as fluid and to be anything because there's nothing concrete to really hold it to. So we're not going to tie so it to anatomy. We're, we're not tying it to my uterus or to my biology or anything like that. It's what I feel. It's what I think. And that can be so different than what you feel and think. So I can be a woman and you can be a woman or you can be a woman and I can be something completely different that may not be a male. Can you know, be like, a hippopotamus? That's coming, you know? So, and I mean, I'm being serious. Like there, there's this idea of no absolute truth. And because there's no absolute truth, it's all very fluid. Now, when you look at things like critical theory in that, they're now bringing in this idea that, well, I am now oppressed. And these are the categories that are oppressive or oppressing me yeah. because I don't... Um, because I don't necessarily ascribe to the, the, the thought process that has historically been there. Okay. So because I don't ascribe to like this historic Christian thought that we would ascribe to, we are seen or you would be as, as you would be seen as someone oppressing me because I don't ascribe to your thought. So critical theory continually looks at who is being oppressed and who is the oppressor. Okay. And if I'm falling in the minority position, so to speak, I would be the one who is being oppressed. How am I doing, Lori? Help me out, sis. Is this an amen or a, the, oh no? No, I think you're absolutely on the right track. I, I think it goes even further. I think we started to run into some difficulties with the post um, modernism movement, and we had post. Uh, you know, post-truth, truth is relative, but we, we've kind of moved into that. We're now in what some people are calling a post-truth era, meaning uh, people aren't necessarily denying that there's truth, but the truth doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So we have elevated feelings over facts. So I think that you're kind of seeing a conflation of all of this at the same time um, as evidenced by that short video clip that you showed. I think if you're going to buy into this idea that a woman can be whatever you want it to mean, and it's whatever you feel, if you feel you're a woman, then you are a woman. We have, in fact, elevated feelings over facts. And that's really dangerous place for us to, to be because we, we actually don't live that way every day. I mean, we don't, we actually ha have facts and uh, we don't, we don't eat uh, rat poison because we feel like eating it. We know factually that it's harmful for us, and so we don't eat it. We'll we'll eat sugar because we know we can eat sugar. It's not going to be as harmful, although we don't want to eat too much of that either these days, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think that it, we see that that's reflected in that video. And if you're walking in this ideology and someone starts confronting you with questions, uh, you can see the hesitation in some of their answers because they know what the politically correct answer should be, but they realize it doesn't really make sense either. And well, it's, they said, it's, well, that's a trick question. What is exactly. a woman? And I, I, I never thought I would live in the age where it'd be so complicated to define a boy or a girl. Like yeah. it has become, I think it is one of the questions of the cultural moment we're in right now. And it yeah. is, yeah, but, oh, that's a trick question. Really? Yeah, and I, I think if we um, if we allow the the uh, I'll say the women's rights movement 
to move in this direction, which is that the Women's March is taking it in this direction. If you if you look at their agenda, who supports them, what they really stand for, they're not they don't stand for women. They stand for a very radical leftist, um, socialist, progressive political agenda, which has nothing to do with advancing. I'll say rights for women in in the traditional sense. It's advancing something else. As soon as we got away from what does it mean to be a woman? A woman is just a female human being. I mean, why can't we just say that succinctly? Well, because then we're going to hurt some people who are confused about their gender and want to be a different gender than they were born with. Um, And I think we need to be compassionate for people who are struggling with gender identity issue or gender dysphoria. I think it's a problem we can't ignore and we need, the church needs to have more compassion for people who are struggling with this. I don't think we've done a good good enough job, but that doesn't mean that we um, play along and ignore facts and ignore science and ignore biology because I I think that it just, um, we're, we're we're losing our sanity. Well, before we go down too far down this road, which I think is a good road to go on, I do have a question. Do you still consider yourself a feminist today? I don't. In fact, I describe myself as a former liberal feminist. Um, and part of the re- there's several reasons. So let me let me give you a couple of big ones. One, feminist, the feminist word, feminism, has become a very loaded word, and it has uh, different meanings for different people. It's become um, politically charged, um, economically charged. Uh, It's associated often with uh, sexual liberty, abortion. Uh, You know, they call it, um, uh, you know, your personal autonomy rights, but it's, that's really not what it's about. Um, And so I, I, I don't follow, follow that camp anymore. Second of all, feminism really is an ideology. And I think whenever you start talking about any of the isms, any ism is a really, it's a philosophy, it's an ideology. And I have radically shifted my own ideology, if you will, and and accepted and embraced a biblical worldview. So I no longer look at the world through the lens of a victim, even if I have been a victim in the past. And I was, I was a victim of assault myself. But I don't look at myself as a victim and see the world through that lens. I look at myself as a victor because now as a, a child of God and um, a Christ follower, mightier is he that is in me than is he, he that is in the world. So I, ha- I have a greater strength in me. And so I, I walk in that victory. I no longer find my identity in that, but I find my identity in being a child of God and a follower of Christ. Do you think the word feminism or being a feminist, do you think that word has changed at all since the seventies? Like recently I saw the movie RGB. Um, it was about the life story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It was actually a, a pretty good movie. I, I actually really enjoyed it. And yeah, it, it, it was about kind of the late sixties, early seventies struggle for, um, women's kind of equality of in the work environment and, and that sort of thing. It was a very thought provoking movie. And I thought, well, in that sense of feminism, I get that. I identify with that. Do you, but now it's feminist seems to be a very pejorative word, almost an, an synonym for a woman who advocates for reproductive rights or abortion. 
I don't know, I struggle with with the term, but I'm wondering if the meaning has changed. Uh, well, originally, really, fe feminism and the feminist movement, gosh, it goes back a long time, but I, I, it, it goes back even before the 70s. Um, in America, we talk about first wave feminism and first wave feminism is usually associated with um, the suffrage movement where women were fighting to get the right to vote, which we eventually passed the 19th Amendment in, in the, uh, around 19, I think 19. Um, and so we were fighting for the right to vote, fighting for the right to own property, inheritance rights, um, to be seen as a, a person of value, right? And that's really what the right to vote did is give uh, us a right to speak with our vote, our, um, our vote is our voice. And recognizing that we have value and we have something to say. So I think that the, the feminist movement kind of historically has come from a time where women were treated as property, women didn't have um, voting rights, they didn't have legal rights. Uh, at least not as we know them today. And so that's, it was fighting for that, which I think there was a good association with those, uh, with those agendas. Uh, in fact, there were many women who were uh, who Christians who were involved in fighting for the, the right for women to vote. But then the, you had the second wave feminism, which took place in the 60s and 70s, which is what you're talking about. Um, it kind of had a two-pronged um, focus or agenda, if you will. One was the economic, which is what you're referring to. Hey, we have a right to be in the workforce. Uh, we have a right to equal pay, e equal pay for equal work. And hey, put me down for those things. We have a right to education. We shouldn't be denied education just because of our gender. But the other agenda that came along during the same time was this, you call it reproductive right, it's personal autonomy, sexual liberty. Hey, if men can be uh, free to, do, to express themselves sexually and have multiple partners, women should too. We started to associate sex and sexual freedom and sexual liberty with power because women had historically had some problems with mistreatment and violence and discrimination and let's say some oppression, women struggled for power. So they sought power through sexual liberty. Uh, and we, we know that that actually has been disastrous for women. Here we are today, uh, some would say we're in the third wave or even fourth wave of feminism. And we, we see the, the, the uh, deconstruction of even what it means to be a woman. And uh, there's a lot of, very angry um, women who were speaking out, not just in favor of abortion, saying, hey, we have a right to choose, but glorifying abortion, that it's a good thing, that abortion has been their source of freedom. They were not tied down early in life because they had this right to abortion. So yes, I think that we have strayed from the word. I think the words had some difficulties from the beginning, just knowing how to associate it. If I'm going to talk about the issues, I prefer to frame it in terms of you know women's rights and then discuss it from from that place because I think it's easier to have a conversation and find something that's in common and good and noble about it. Whereas the feminist movement seems to have really been uh, derailed by a radical leftist social agenda. Now, when when you say you'd rather talk about it in relation to like women's rights as opposed to feminism and things like that, like I even get confused as to well what are the women's rights that we're trying to advocate for and 
um, because I feel like it all gets clumped together. Like you're saying, like some people are looking for sexual or gender rights or some people are looking for rights in the workforce. Some people are looking for rights in terms of their body and what they can and cannot do, the right to vote. There are many rights that come up. And Mm -hmm. so what what does that phrase even mean? Mm -hmm. So then we ask that question. I mean, it it leads somewhere. I think just using the word feminism, we have no idea what someone means when they talk about feminism. You know, when, when, when women call themselves a Jesus feminist or Christian feminist, I'm like, what, what are, I have no idea what that means to you. That's such a confusing and sometimes contradictory terms. I want to learn how to be a clear speaker, uh, a clear communicator. I don't want to be communicating and, and uh, using words words that are confusing. Now, having said that, you're right. I mean, even women's rights. What what rights are we talking about? But then you can ask: Are you talking about the right to vote, right to education? Are you talking about uh, the 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 right to kill your unborn child? Like, don't put me down for that. Um, but if you're talking about the right to education and the right for better treatment and let's and violence against women put me down. I'm, I'm in favor of those kinds of rights. So I think we can have a, a, a better defined, a clearer conversation ab- about the women's rights issues when we start talking about in, in terms of rights. When I travel and speak on human rights, uh, women's rights, I actually start with human rights. That's where I begin the conversation that if you're going to talk about women's rights, we have to first figure out, well, where do rights come from, right? And we are human beings. And so women's rights actually come from human rights. And so what are human rights? What does it mean to be human? And where do we get our rights? And so that probably is another segue into another question. No, that, no actually, that's good. It keep, I mean, keep on going because that's true. What are, you know, what is a right and what are rights? Where do they come from? Yeah. So rights come from someplace, right? Because a right is an entitlement that we are claiming. Historically, it really had to do something more along the lines of like a, um, a moral obligation, but we've changed it now to mean um, uh, legal entitlement. So let's just kind of use how we're, how the word is used today in, in terms of legal entitlements. So rights have to come from some place. So where do they come from? Well, they can come from God or they can come from man. And if they come from God, which God, if they come from man, who influences the man-made laws. And so Christianity, historically, especially in America, we took a biblical approach. Our, our founders, founding fathers took a, a biblical approach, even if they weren't all Christians, and most of them were, they still had biblical literacy and biblical values and ethics and morals. And so that influenced the laws that we saw implemented here in our country, especially in, in our constitution and our Bill of Rights and then later our amendments. Um, and so our rights here in America, as we're talking about legal entitlements, come from the man-made laws, but what's affecting and influencing those laws, that's what really matters. So if we're going to talk about human rights or women's rights, and we're going to pass laws to protect women from violence or discrimination, we have to start with, well, what's the lens that we're going to look through in order to determine what kind of laws we need and why? And I think Christianity is the only one that offers a solid, consistent reason for valuing women and protecting women from unfair uh, treatment, from what we call invidious discrimination, and of course, violence as well. I want to ask a follow up to that. But first, I want to go over to the chat. Um, Our friend Amy Davis says women couldn't get a business loan without a man's co-signature 
As recently as the mid-1980s, feminism used to fight for literal equality between genders no longer. Um, so that's, you know, the reality of, of an aspect of, of rights that we're talking about. But when we're, you're making the assertion, Lori, that um, the founding fathers of our country had the Christian worldview kind of in the background of, for them. It was sort of their operating assumptions. Now, mm -hmm. some people are going to say, well, they were inconsistent. They, they, they set up a system that, that benefited men, that, that they weren't, you know, if Christianity was in the background, then why from the beginning weren't women treated equally? Why didn't they have property mm -hmm. rights or inheritance rights and, mm -hmm. and um, those sorts of things? So some people would say, well, see, Christianity's rigged from, from the get-go to be benefit benefiting men and devaluing women. And we see this played out in the founding fathers. How would you uh, begin yeah. to, to talk about that? I think those are very fair questions, very fair. And they're good questions, questions we should be asking. I, I think what we see uh, at the founding is some a good basis for the laws because they had a biblical approach to them valuing humanity. All men are created equal in, in the eyes of God and, and, and have certain inalienable rights. You know, there's a question of, well, did they anticipate all human beings or was it just men and women were excluded from that? But that's, you know, conversation for another day. But they set up a, a system of government based on biblical values. Now, the question is, how was it applied? Back then, I believe that those, those biblical values were applied in a way that was based on tradition. And we see, have seen historically, tradition has been, our societies in general, Western societies have been um, male dominated, women not given the right to vote or maybe the right to education, uh, the right to own property, things like that, inheritance rights. And so w there are traditions that have been passed down. So I, I believe that at the founding, we were still stuck in some of those traditions. Now, the, the good thing is because women did fight for um, a voice, we've, we've, we fought to be heard so that we would be respected and treated better than we were in the past, that we were given the right to vote, which gave us a very, gave us a good voice. So we were actually able to come and have a seat at the table and have something to say and eventually be respected. And that's a process that takes time, which has led to where we are today. I think women having contributed now, having been educated, owning property, having a voice, having a right to vote, women have been able to come and shed light on some of these problems that quite honestly, I think the men are a little bit oblivious to or it, it, it ignored it or they facilitated it. So I, I think that women getting involved in, in government, politics, leadership has been a very good thing. So long as we don't get hung up on power structures, because as soon as we start grabbing for power, you know, we're, people are going to get grumpy and gray and that, that, that doesn't go anywhere because then it's just a str struggle. And, the, and, you know, if you're going to take God out of the equation, now it's just survival of the fittest, which usually is survival of the rich, the strong and the wealthy, or I already Ooh. said wealthy, the, the healthy. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Um, and nobody needs grumpy. No, no one no, needs no. grumpy. No. Um, okay. So a couple of times you've mentioned the Christian worldview and my question is, what do you what is it about the Christian worldview that you see offers um, like more dignity to women? Yeah. 
So in terms of valuing humanity first, because that's how I start the, the question. When I teach on women's rights, I start with que the question of human rights and, and building the case that women are human beings. And I think in general around the world, we agree that human rights are important. And if human rights are important, why are they important and where do they come from? I mean, even people in Islam, Islamic countries will talk about women's rights. Now they define it differently, right? Based on their God-given law. Um, so they define it differently. So when you start comparing, this is what my, my recent master's thesis addresses. I did a, a comparative analysis of the treatment of women looking through the lens of the law um, to examine different worldviews, specifically different religions. So I examined uh, the laws in Saudi Arabia, which are influenced by Islamic law because they have Sharia. It's considered by many to be the purest form of Islam. It's the birthplace of Islam with uh, Sharia, uh, uh, Mecca and Medina having two, the two holy sites there in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I looked at the laws there. I looked at the laws in India because India historically has been heavily influenced by Hinduism. I examined the laws in China because China is considered the most atheistic country in the world. So how are their laws on protecting women from from uh, violence and invidious discrimination. And then I looked at the US and specifically at the founding because we had the, the, the historic founding of our country was based on Christian principles, biblical values. And so based on those values, we have seen a progression of protection of women's rights, if you will, giving women the right to vote. Um, I mean, boy, in Saudi Arabia, they just recently got the right to drive. I mean, that, that, that just happened recently. So they're still a, a little bit behind, but they are making some progress. And I think it's because women are getting involved and women are having a voice around the world. And we're standing up and talking about the, the things that have been unfair um, that have happened to women, uh, whether it's violence, whether it's sex trafficking, abuse, domestic abuse, there are things that have happened and we want to call attention to those things not highlighting that women are victims and grasping that identity, that's not how we want to have the conversation because then I'm, I'm glorifying my victimhood. And I think there's no glory in that at all. I want to be victorious and be an overcomer. I'm a survivor. I don't want to be seeing myself and have other people viewing me as a victim. There's no strength in that. So from a Christian worldview standpoint, do you see kind of the image of God as being one of the distinguishing features of our perspective that grounds those human rights so that that's kind of different than these other approaches in Islam and and Hinduism and atheism? I mean, let's let's dig a little bit deeper into that and what you see there as the distinctive of human rights rooted and grounded in the dignity and in the image of God? Yeah, great question. So I think as we look around the world, as I mentioned, uh, there's kind of this unanimous uh, opinion that human rights are important. So why are they important and what do we mean by that? And if we look at how they're applied in other worldviews, we don't see 
universality and inherency and, and necessarily a higher law. And that's one of the keys to the United Nations actually established their United Declaration of Human Rights based on higher law, that there was a, a law above the law, which is God-given law, that God, uh, we answer, our man-made laws answer to God, and that there these rights are universal, meaning they apply to everyone and they're inherent. It's something we're just born with. It's not something that we earn, not something we deserve. And so the, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that supports that. No other worldview does. In any other worldview, if you, if you remove, for example, if you move, remove God from the equation, like in China, you now have, what, if you have no God who's given laws, what are you left with? You're left with a materialistic worldview, which is we can look at examples of that in, in neo-Darwinism that's like more recent for us, that's survival of the fittest, the strongest. And so the weak are not going to have value. What about the disabled, the infirm, those that uh, are in comas? What about the unborn? Well, and if there's no God, if you have materialism, if there's no God, then rights just come from the government and, right. and they can be taken away at that's any right. time that's you know, right. if if majority rules, if you're a democracy, you know, the, the rights can be taken away. But if you're living in a dictatorship, they can be taken away quite easily without any say. And right. So the worldview component does does matter. So we ask ourselves, why is that in Christianity? Why is it that we see the better treatment of human beings? Now, I'm not saying perfect because we're not perfect. And we see many imperfect examples. And we see examples of people mistreating others in the name of Christianity historically. So we can't ignore that fact. And I, I'm, I'm not um, looking at this with rose-colored glasses. I know that historically we, we've got some problems and we have to deal with those. But I don't want to approach it from um, a shaming standpoint that now somebody has to, from 200 years ago, needs to make amends to me. So I'm, I'm looking at what, what are uh, those things that are giving us reasons, solid reasons for believing that the dignity and value of women or all human beings is important. And we only see that in the Christian worldview. And that is Imago Dei, as you mentioned, that we are created in the image of God. And that's what it tells us in Genesis 1. 26 and 27, for example, that God created them, male and female. He created them in his image. So when God created us in his image, that gave us our dignity, value, and worth. Because think about this. If someone paints a, um, a painting, what gives it the value? Well, two, a couple of things. One, whoever the the, the artist was. And so the more famous the art, the more powerful, or um, they are actually going to have more value to their signature and to their painting. So it's what someone's willing to pay for it as well. If someone's willing to pay more for a painting, it's going to be worth more. I'm trying to sell my house right now. I've been trying to sell my house for, for two years. I think I have an idea how much it's worth, but nobody's paying that. So I've had to drop my price like four times and still have it on the market. So it's what someone is, the value of my house is what someone is willing to pay for it. What are we worth? Well, we can look to the scriptures, especially the New Testament, and focus on the gospels. God paid for us through his son, Jesus, dying on the cross, shed his blood for us to purchase us back. Because when sin came, in Genesis 3, it separated humanity from God. But he didn't leave us separated. 
he made a way for us to come back and he purchased us with the blood of his son that he sent to come and die. But it's a gift that he offers us, not because we deserve it, but he gives it to everybody, but we do have to receive it. And that's what Christians do is we receive that gift. We believe the gift. We believe the work, what Jesus did on the cross and what that means for us in terms of offering the forgiveness of our sins and that we've been purchased and we've been redeemed. And that gives us enormous value and dignity and worth. And that's for all humanity, women, men, all races, whether you're able, disabled, healthy, unhealthy, unborn, that's what gives value, dignity, and worth to all of humanity. Yes, and amen. <laughs> now, question, are there any parts of feminism that you see actually aligning with scripture in the historic Christian worldview? Uh, well, I think historically, fight, you know, fighting for the rights uh, to, fight, uh, to vote, um, property rights, Really, those were all the right to education. That's just treating women like a human being that we are. So I think those have been good. Um, but more recently, when we look at like the second and the third wave feminism or fourth, if you want to get into that, we've seen that women's rights has started to become something else. It started to mean um, sexual liberty. I have the right to do whatever I want to with my own body, including the right to end the life that is growing inside of me. The, the abortion issue or reproductive rights, as Krista called it. Uh, so there are some things that are now have moved beyond what I, I think were good to begin with. And because of that, because we're deconstructing words, that's why I just choose not to use the feminist word. And I, I choose to just discuss, discuss women's rights and then which rights are we talking about? So we got a couple of great comments here, Lori. I want to um, try to work in and, and make sure that we look at um, Theo, who is watching us in Australia, says, I think we have to separate between equality and sameness. I think that's a really important point because um, men and women are different <laughs> and we need both. Like we don't want to fall into a, a vision for affirming women's rights where we um, shame men like this isn't about exalting one and pushing someone else down. This is about us kind of co-ruling and reigning the earth together and mm -hmm. helping one another. Our friend Amy has a thoughtful comment. She says, I observe that for women's rights to progress, we need to have godly men partner with us and advocate on our behalf in order to, to validate this cause in the eyes of others. Um, example of, the right to vote or women in ministry. And I, I think that's I important. I like that a lot. I, I say that mm -hmm. a lot, like, especially when we talk about things pertaining to race, like, mm -hmm. you know, it takes both sides to present why we should be talking about things about race. And I think it's the exact same thing when we talk about like women's rights, it takes both sides presenting a clear like reason for why we should have certain rights and why certain things should be moving forward mm -hmm. because yeah, I think the voice of both. It's not that we're pitted against each other. Like now, because I'm going to talk about women's rights or I'm going to talk about um, race from a certain perspective, that it puts us at odds. No, yeah. we should be joining hands and linking arms and moving together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, I actually was just like flipping through my scripture here. So, you know, it talks about in Genesis 1, um, 
you know, when, when right after it discusses how God created men and women, he actually gave them dominion over the earth and we were supposed to rule it. So I, 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 it seems to me from Genesis one, when we really unpack it, that God meant for men and women, husbands and wives, males and females to labor together. Um, that doesn't mean we have to do everything together, but I, I think that there is, um, something wise in us being able to work together for the common good. Yeah. And it doesn't mean to negate it. I think that the, one of the errors I see some Christians fall into is almost this sameness, you know, that mm-hmm. the, the, the sexes are interchangeable or mm-hmm. we don't really need men or, or something. And it's like, no, that's, that's, we don't want to fall into that error either. We, um, mm-hmm. equality. Yes. Um, but not sameness, equality, right. but, but different and, and appreciate each other's differences and what each of the sexes brings to, um, I would say that the great commission, that the great commission is kind of the great partnership under the new covenant, um, mm-hmm. to restore that, that, that mission of co-ruling and reigning the earth together. That was, that was there at the creation and then corrupted at the fall um, now Jesus commissions men and women both to be his disciples and both men and women to bring the good news to the ends of the earth. And so now we do that together as a project together, as we bring Christ's rule and reign to everything um, mm-hmm. on the earth until he comes back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think J- Jesus teaching was pretty radical because we see the story of Martha and Mary when Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, which was typically a place that was just reserved for the rabbi's um, uh, disciples, which would be like uh, all men, not a place for women. And and Jesus rebuked Martha because Martha's kind of saying, hey, tell her to get in her place. She needs to be helping me in the kitchen. That's really her place. And and Jesus said, no, she's, she's chosen better. And so I, th- I think and he's not saying, hey, you know, women shouldn't do anything domestic. I, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. But he was saying, hey, look, you women have the right to come and learn as well. And we can learn things that have to do with God. We can study theology. We can study the scripture. And of course, that means opening up education for women as well, not to mention teaching. Yeah. That's a whole, a whole other subject. Um, I want to ask you, we kind of touched on um, atheism or materialism and how it's, you know, works out the rights issues. I wonder if we could kind of circle back briefly to your research on these other positions of looking at women's rights in Sharia law or in in Hinduism. Maybe you could mm-hmm. just kind of briefly orient us to to those conversations. Yeah. So, um, well, my, my thesis goes pretty deep into these subjects and I, I, I focus specifically on areas of law that dealt with violence and discrimination because I, there's just not enough time to unpack absolutely everything in terms of like work, workplace discrimination, uh, the right to vote. Um, I, I touch on harassment, but I pretty much focus on domestic violence, um, violence against women, domestic violence, rape, um, I discuss female genital mutilation, uh, just to give a few examples of, of what I touch on and how the different countries treat those subjects and, and then why. So we, we see if, we, if you just examine the laws, well, it's interesting you brought up China first. So China 
purports to have laws that would seem to promote the equality of women. But when you actually look at how it is in practice, it's not consistent with what they're articulating. And I think when you understand uh, the nature of communism and how propaganda is a very essential element of communism, then you understand why there's such a disconnect, that they may have laws that purport to improve the uh, treatment of women and equality of women, when in fact, in practice, it's not happening. So I think that that's important. Uh, same thing when you look at um, Hinduism. Historically, they have a caste system. That's a, a critical part of Hinduism. And so women were not valued. Uh, lower class women were certainly not valued. Um, and so they place a hierarchy of value of different human beings depending on your caste system. Now, very recently, I mean, women, I mean, I say like in the last 100 years, women have been given the right to education and to vote. And so women have made some uh, progress in India, but it's not rooted in Hinduism. It's rooted on the Christian, I would argue it's rooted in the Christian influence of the laws. In fact, it's kind of interesting when it comes to family laws in India, they have three sets of laws. They have laws for Hindus, laws for um, uh, Muslims, and laws for Christians. They actually have three different sets of laws. So I, I find that interesting. So because we actually see a Christian influence and probably comes from a col colonialism, we see some advancement in women's rights. That's not to say they've done it perfectly, just like Americans haven't done it perfectly either. We still have a lot of room for improvement, but I would argue that Christianity offers the best hope for women. Even if Christians haven't always done the treatment of women well and the best that they can do, Christ is our hope, not men. That's so good. I, th I love how you say that, Lori, is, is Christianity offers the best hope for women. It's mm -hmm. not that um, we've done it perfectly because we are sinners, mm -hmm. but the framework and the worldview itself has led to better outcomes uh, mm -hmm. for women. And I think what's interesting to me about the founding fathers of our country, that because Christianity was in their worldview, it, it was it was sort of their, their working assumptions um, even though they themselves acted on tradition and okay. kind of working in um, protecting or giving more rights to men and women, okay. the the nobility of of what they built was robust enough okay. um, because it was founded on Christian principles that we were able to get to the right destination eventually. It just took a little while. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you, Lori. This yes. has been a very fascinating discussion. I hope it's really uh, helped to equip our viewers with some with some answers and some understanding about feminism and and um, just. Hey, I've made my thesis freely available for yeah. everybody to read, and I'm going to put a not... link to that in the show notes for everyone. Oh, great! Because yeah. I could not unpack everything. I'm hoping people will build on the research that I did and 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 take take it and run with it, expand it. Uh, but you can just look up for my blog, Lori Stewart. I'm on Blogspot, Women of Intelligent Faith. Don't look at the wrong blog. There is another Lori Stewart, which is totally not edifying. That would not be my, <laughs> that would not be my blog. Okay. So look for mine, which is Women of Intelligent Faith.
All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lori, very much. I wish I wore my denim and jacket so I could have been like a yeah, we could have been triplets. The yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. God bless you guys. God bless. Bye. 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 Okay. That was good. That was good. I, I learned some things. I don't know. Do you see like some correlations here between some of the things that Lori was talking about in critical race theory? Like I was seeing all kinds of connections between those two things. I do, but I was, I think I was just more absorbing okay. and really listening and learning. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. We'll, I can we'll have to unpack yes. some of that yeah. because I, I could totally see some like overlap. Well, I think first of all, like this question about the founding fathers and I thought about that. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. that they, they laid the intellectual framework for equal rights and human rights, but they didn't act on it. Act, they didn't execute it the yeah. right way. They were acting on tradition. I like mm-hmm. how she said that. That was really helpful for me. So they had the right worldview and the, the right framework but then they combined it with their traditions and what was familiar to them. And so they didn't carry it all the way through, but we eventually arrived there because of the robustness the, mm-hmm. of the, of the framework. the framework. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, for me, I was clicking on that. Of, yeah. I can see that. I can see that with things like slavery, all men yeah. are created equal, but yet I'm owning a slave and yeah. he's not equal to me <laughs> at all. Um, so yeah. yes, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, I was thinking with, you know, more of the the different waves of feminism. Yeah. Thinking of the different waves of civil rights and how mm. those things are argued and fought for and things like that. And so you you see taking um, maybe like Martin Luther King, for an example, being that civil rights era and things like that. And now what people are arguing for today for reparations and for, you know, separate spaces. And what does this era of rights look like when we're talking about race and things like yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. We'll have to, that'll be fun to kind of think through a bit more. Yes. All right. Uh, let's have a reminder here about our upcoming trip to Phoenix. Yes. Yay. We're coming for you, Phoenix. We are. It's in just a few weeks. It's going to be um, at the Arizona Community Church. In the Phoenix area. Is that Tempe? Tempe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be April 3rd and 4th. 4th. Yes. And it's called Change for the Better. You're going to do two plenary talks. Yes. And then together we're going to do our um, a breakout session called The Great Awakening. Yes. And it's really speaking to evangelicals and the church regarding the dangers of critical race theory. Yeah. So I'm doing two plenary talks. And then there's... um, Someone else who's who's doing a talk. Brianna, yes. Well, that you know. Yes, so. we were actually RAs together at Biola. Okay. Yes. So it will be a great time. I'm looking forward to, to meeting some new friends in Phoenix. So if you live in the area, Phoenix, Tempe, Gilbert, all of those, come find us at Arizona Community Church. Yes, even if you're up in Yuma or, you know, out there somewhere far away, come yeah. on down. <laughs> I think the conference is relatively inexpensive. It's yeah. like 45 bucks. Yeah. Um, and I think there are hotels in the area, so you can make a little yeah. trip out of it. Yeah, it'll be April 3rd and 4th. Yeah, it's a Friday evening and Saturday, Saturday. event. So we are looking forward to that. Um, okay, are you ready for the next thing? Stephen Furtick. You know, yes. Stephen Furtick. I didn't even know who this guy was until fairly recently. Apparently he's famous. I don't know why he's famous. I think he might have been a like a, a 
player like of a some sports, sports. Yes. professional sports player maybe football maybe baseball yeah i can't really tell you i don't think it was basketball but there it is yes and he has a church on the east coast i'm okay. not sure what the church name is okay. but it's a very popular church so this week uh he said this yeah and it's really unfortunate and but it yes, kind of broke tw- it. it broke twitter so we're gonna play the clip and then we're gonna talk about it Team for seven he said I tell you the truth, I know you're mourning, I know you're sorrowful, I know you don't want me to leave you, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. How could you say something like that, Jesus? How could you say it is good if you go away? We followed you, we trusted you, and now you're leaving us. No, I am not leaving you, I am changing forms. So I am not leaving you. I'm just changing locations. God said I didn't walk away. God said I'm working in this season. God said it doesn't matter who changed their mind about you. Okay, there it is. Okay, so Stephen Furtick, there is the clip. That wasn't the greatest clip that I picked there. I'll have to rescreen. <laughs> Looked like somebody was filming their computer monitor. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so a lot of people are probably wondering, like, what in the world is the big deal with this clip? So let me try to break it down because it was all over Twitter this week that Stephen Furtick is a heretic. Yes. And this was the clip that they were playing. And I'm sure some people were like, huh? Womp womp. Yes. Because like, if what you don't. What it, what is how is this a heresy? Yes, I've actually now that I think about it, I've heard this preach before, um, in a very similar way, and would have never thought, oh my gosh, that's heresy. No, that that's good preaching. And he left so that you know it he was be for jumping. my good. Yeah, he was jumping. Well, I mean, but I mean, even but even beyond that, like what he was saying was like, well, he's leaving for my good. Yeah. There's something in it that's good for me. Yeah. So despite the, the physical antics and elements behind that, I don't think people understand what people were up in arms about saying it was heresy. Yeah. So, uh, Oh, our friend Laura says that's from elevation church. That's the name of Stephen Furtick's church. His church produces, a lot of the most popular worship music alongside yes. Bethel and Hillsong. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good to know. They do. They're like in the top three. Okay. It is Bethel, Hillsong, and Elevation. Now, Theo's giving the spoiler. Spoiler alert. This is the modalist uh, modalism mm-hmm. heresy. So we're going to kind of break that down a little bit here. Um, oops. Kinda went the wrong direction. There we go. Um, all right. So modalism. Now, the, the key word to listen for in the clip is when he says that I'm changing forms. Jesus says, I'm going away and I'm changing forms. And now I'm going to live in you. That's kind of the big hairy problem because modalism is a very ancient heresy. Um, And so we want to be careful about how we think and how we talk about the Trinity. Now, if people have watched my channel for any period of time, they know that I have a strong emphasis on historic Christianity. What have Christians historically believed? And so the Trinity is a foundation of our faith. Without the Trinity, we don't have Christianity. So we got to be clear about what we believe. So modalism and I've, um, is, is the idea that the persons of the Trinity represent or yeah, represent three modes or um, 
kind of three ways of revealing themselves. They're not coexisting persons. They, they, they change modes. It's almost like changing your shirt. You know, like today I got my denim jacket on and maybe tomorrow at church I'll, I'll wear my suit. And then I'm going to go to work on Monday and maybe I wear my black pants with a different jacket. Okay. So I'm still me, but I have different forms. I have different ways of appearing. So what we see in the old Testament is God appears as the father. And then in the gospels, he appears as the son. And now God appears as Holy spirit who, who lives in you three different modes um, so this is the ancient heresy of modalism. Now we have this little handy dandy illustration here. Now I'm going to show the illustration for the historic uh, Christian view of the Trinity. So this is a very ancient symbol. So we have God in three persons. So God is the father. God is the son. God is the spirit, but they're not the same. The father is not the son. This is the problem with modalism is it, it leaves off those, that little outer circle there. The father is not the son. The father is not the spirit and the son is not the spirit. So it's not, God's not changing his shirt. He's not appearing in a different way. Um, it's three persons. One God in three persons um, is how we talk about the Trinity. So um, is this a heresy? This is the $64,000 questions. Mm -hmm. This is what people want to know. Is this heresy? Uh, technically, yes, it is. Uh, our friend Amy says, Jesus is not the same as the Holy Spirit. Yep, you nailed it. That's right. So modalism is shape-shifting deity. Yeah, that's a good way of saying, mm -hmm. saying it. Very good, Amy. Um, and I think that when we think about this, technically... The words that Stephen Furtick used, we would say, are outside of the realm of orthodoxy. And, and, but am I ready to call Stephen Furtick a heretic? No, because I don't know his motivation. I don't know anything about him. Um, for all I know, he just needs a seminary class. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> I was like, you know, people... Goodness, people are quick to judge. Yeah. I mean, they don't give you an ounce. Like, you don't have a second to reconsider. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, they just, they're right there no to get on allowed. you. No. Yeah. And it could be, like, we have a, um, a, a chat we did with Mike Gurney about preachers and pastors not going to seminary and how there's been such a decline in seminary attendance or enrollment and maybe it's that he doesn't know maybe that he maybe no one is really in his corner saying hey let me pull you to the side a little exactly. bit and tell you the truth about how you should be thinking about this about how not just should you you know be thinking about this but how the church has historically thought about this this is what we preach this is what is in orthodox christianity and so maybe that's it maybe he's really doing his best and yet here, here, here come the Christian judges yeah. to say, hey, you got all that those, modalism all spirit. All you those know? discernment blogs were ready to go into action. Um, yeah, and week. it's like, I mean, he's been, I feel like Stephen Furtick has caught fire for other things. And so, you know, does he have errant theology? Maybe. I don't know. I don't sit and, you know, over dinner with him and talk to him about these things. But with this, I'm like, you know, 
I've heard other pastors do this too. And maybe it's that they haven't gone to seminary. Now, to me, this is a huge reason why pastors should be in seminary to understand. No, it's not the shape shifting. It is that they are three distinct persons. And how do we teach congregants that? How do we really teach what's been taught for the last 2000 years. Yeah. And so I think you, you nailed it there in that. Hopefully Stephen has some people in his life that can pull him to the side in a loving way and say, Hey, let me help you have a more excellent understanding of the scriptures. Let's, let's talk about this. Um, to me, a heretic, that label is only appropriate when the person actively and willfully teaches something that is outside the bounds of orthodoxy. Like he's been pulled to the side. He's had the proper education and the person persists in the error. That's when the church bishops historically would say, okay, now you are excommunicated, you know, to excommunicate to someone is to withhold communion from them. And you're outside of the church because you're teaching something that is outside of what the church has universally taught. So I'm not ready to like slap Stephen Furtick with a label of a heretic. Is what he said heresy? Technically, yes, but I'm going to believe in his heart. I'm going to believe all things in the spirit of Christian love that he just doesn't know any better. Hopefully there's someone in his life that's more informed and can pull him to the side and have a conversation I'm going to believe the best about him that he's not actively denying the faith and, and doesn't know any better. Now, a difference with that are the oneness Pentecostals. Oneness Pentecostals are modalists, and it's a form of Pentecostalism that they do actively teach this heresy. And that is, I would say, a church that is outside of the historic Christian faith. So oneness Pentecostals, sometimes they're called Jesus only Pentecostals. They are modalists. Okay. So if you drive down your friendly neighborhood, oneness Pentecostal church, you see them, you'll know, and you'll now know they have the problem of the ancient heresy of modalism. I have never heard of a oneness Pentecostal in my life. Oh, you haven't? (laughs) No. Oh, T.D. Jakes is a famous oneness Pentecostal. Why you got to throw my uncle under the bus by Uncle oh, James? <laughs> I think he's repented of his error, but yeah, he comes out of the oneness Pentecostal. I have tradition. never heard of this at all, but you really? know what? Now I'm going to go and be Google. like, yeah, wow. Okay. Um, Laura Harley says, Furtick gets thrown into the WOF box by many. Now, when I, when I saw Word of faith, okay, thank yeah. you. Cause I was like, WOF, Laura, what's she writing on? But that's a whole nother acronym, people. <laughs> Sorry. I just. Oh, my word. I am a work in progress. So, um, Stephen Furtick, if you're out there, go watch some of my videos or take a seminary class. Yeah. It'll, it'll all be OK. I get somebody in your corner who has taken a seminary class. Yeah, I got I got yeah. some great videos on the Trinity. It'll help you out. Oh, that. The, yeah. The famous water ice vapor analogy of uh, for the Trinity. Um, that actually could be seen. Um, as a modalist analogy closer to modalism, that's the problem with all the analogies about, about the Trinity is they all kind of, if you press them too far, take you into some heresy. Um, so 
you know, like the egg analogy, the the shell, the yolk, the 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 white part, whatever that's called. The egg white. Uh, yeah, the egg white. You know, if you that could if you press the it white too part far, of the egg, <laughs> it could be tritheism. So you want to be careful with those analogies because those analogies are contained in this space time continuum. So we want to like kind of put God inside this space time continuum. There's really no perfect analogy that we can come up with for the Trinity. But I think that that's actually a pointer to its true supernatural origin Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't invented by a human. So anyways, there's that. There's that. Okay. Do you have a tweet? I do have a tweet. Okay. I'm going to surprise you. There it is. Yet again. She loves surprises. Left me hanging. I, I, oh, Mid-beat. sorry. I was just, you know, getting my little... You know what? Oh, okay. Oh, I was going to read a comment. But we'll do it after. <laughs> Squirrel. Okay. That is true. All right. The tweet of the week. Do, 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 do. Uh, this came out today, and I thought it was very thoughtful. Uh, it was published on the Gospel Coalition website, which people know me. They know I have issues with the Gospel Coalition. But when there's something good and... Um, truthful and trustworthy. I want to point it out. So there was a great article uh, on progressive Christianity and kind of a unique story. This person was raised as an evangelical uh, kind of deconstructed his faith and became a progressive and then reconstructed his faith after being a progressive for a while and came back to the historic Christian faith. So sort of a unique journey. So I've got the article here. And I want to commend this article to people to to go check out. I thought it was it was very well done. I don't know who this guy is, Ian Harbour. Um, but I thought it was a great article. If you could scroll down for me, Bob, a little bit. Uh, keep going. Um, keep going. And. Um, oh, oh, right. Um, hold on. Um, yeah, keep going. Keep going down. Um Keep going. Right. Yeah, good thing we rehearsed this. Oh, no, go back up. Up. Oh, where was it? It was a great quote I wanted to read. Go back up. Okay, here it is. So he's talking about after he kind of uh, deconstructed his faith and he became a progressive, he says, then I ran into a problem. He started listening to all these progressive Christian podcasts. He was reading the Velvet Elvis and Rob Bell's books. And he was reading the Velvet Elvis just sounds weird. Yeah, it's a very famous early progressive evangelical book. I wouldn't want Elvis regular. So why would you get (laughs) Elvis in velvet? (laughs) Anywho. So he says after he had been kind of drinking from this well of ideas of progressivism for a while, he says, I ran into a problem. As I kept listening and reading, I realized I didn't have the tools to rebuild and I wasn't receiving any of these from these voices. Every belief I held had been neatly disassembled and laid bare on the floor for examination, but there was no guidance for putting something back together. Helping people deconstruct their faith without also helping put it back together is lazy, irresponsible, dangerous, and isolating. The goal of deconstruction should be greater faithfulness to Jesus, not merely self-discovery or signaling one's virtue. 
And I thought that was a really powerful statement because that's what I see so often. Once people start going down this path of progressive Christianity and really deconstructing their faith, what ends up happening a lot of times is they deconstruct it so far that it now it's just shattered on the ground in a thousand pieces and they don't know how to put it back together. So then they slip into secular humanism or, or atheism. And I think that that is a really sad outcome of that. Now, should we quote unquote deconstruct our faith as in de-Americanize our faith? Yes, that is a worthy project. Let's make our faith more historic. Let's make our faith more connected to the ancient Christianity, but let's not deconstruct it to the point where we're just shattering people along the way. So that is my tweet of the week. Now, do we want to wrap up with some comments here? That's good. Something about what you said actually makes me think, of course, because everything makes me think about critical race theory. <laughs> All roads lead. To All roads lead. That's just where my brain is at right now. Um, but this idea of wanting to deconstruct racism mm. and where critical race theory leads us is to, yes, let's deconstruct it. But what do we build after it's deconstructed? How do we really build unity? And there isn't a real way to truly build unity with the critical race theory framework. Ooh, that's it's so good. It's yeah. always this continual work to deconstruct. But the only way to even maybe attempt at building um, some form of what what they would call reconciliation would be for one party to continually acknowledge their wrong and sin. So there's there's truly no way to, to have a framework for something healthy and unified once you're deconstructed, so to speak. Oh, that's so good. One yeah. of the reasons why we can't do it. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, are you going to make the big announcement yet? No, I'm not. Okay. All right. We'll just keep teasing that. All right. Uh, Theo says, has anyone seen the Lutheran satire video on the Trinity? I love that video, Theo. <laughs> it's, um, it's called the St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. It's on YouTube. People can go, go look at it. It's a, like a little, little cartoon of bad analogies and how they, each one tries to, it, it uh, devolves into some heresy. It's a fun video. I'll watch that. Yeah. So I usually post it every St. Patrick's Day. Um, our friend Susanna says my deconstruction journey was to undo all the legalism I believed in. Yeah. And I think that was a, uh, that's a worthwhile journey is, is that's what I call kind of de-Americanizing your faith. That's part of it. And, um, I'm honored to be part of your reconstruction, uh, journey, Susanna. Um, that's, that's a fun thing. Okay. We made it. We did. Yay. Thanks for yes. coming on. Our, Thanks for watching. Please our make, adventure. make sure to share the show. Yeah. Um, check us out on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're there. And yeah. And check out the show notes. Yeah. We've got there each week. Uh, all the things show dot com. You can sign up to have the show notes emailed to you directly every week. Especially on the weeks when I make them, which was not last week yet, but I will make them. It's coming. It's coming. I'm a busy woman. So 
Um, and uh, if you're on Facebook, you can find our Facebook page, all the things show or ATT live stream. That's what it is. ATT live stream at gmail.com. Yeah. And we're on uh, Insta. So yeah, share the show, let your friends know about it. And we hope that you enjoy the conversation. Yeah. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Oh, daylight savings time. Don't forget. It's my favorite time of the year. I'm so excited. I'm I not, cannot wait. Uh-uh. Oh my gosh. No. Yes. 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 Bye-bye. Bye.